Welcome to Genuine Life Recovery. We're here to help you and your loved ones overcome addictions and other addiction-related mental health challenges. In this show, we dive into the physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual aspects of addiction, mental health, recovery, family dynamics, codependency, and more. You can listen on your favorite app or at jodystevens.org. Genuine Life Recovery is made possible by great friends like Joshua's Heart in memory of Joshua Brent Moore, bringing hope, love, and awareness to those afflicted by addiction online at joshesheart.org and Jody Stevens Productions for commercial voiceover, narration, production, MC, and public speaking online at jodystevens.org. Hey friends, welcome back. It's Genuine Life Recovery. I'm Jody Stevens talking about addiction, recovery, mental health challenges related to recovery, and of course, redemption and overcoming, which is what we are going to be chatting about today. And I'm talking with Tanya Jarecki. Tanya's with Radiant Redemption. Tanya's a wife, mother, blogger, uh, coach, and fellow sobriety sister. So welcome, Tanya. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on today. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, Tanya, whereabouts in the world, in the country are you? So I am in close to Cleveland, Ohio. That's the easiest place to to point me. So right outside of Cleveland, right on the lake. Oh, wow. I bet it's nice there right now. It's gorgeous. So we finally, it's cooling off and I think we're finally Mm going to start getting some fall weather. It's been really hot and humid. So it's, it's been a nice change the past couple days. Yeah, so we're in, we are in, what month are we in? We're just at the beginning of September, you know, as we're, uh, as we're recording this. So, Tanya, you, uh, how long have you been sober? Um, almost three years. It's a hair shy of three years. Wow, congratulations. You, you are a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> how, how does it feel? You know, sometimes it still feels like a dream, like I'm going to wake up and all of this is not like true, Um, but it's so Uh like, it's just, it's so awesome (laughs) Um, each day, even though it's hard at times, like it's just such a gift to actually be able to be present to my life now. Mm -hmm. So when you were in active use, were you still married? Did you have kids and things like that? Yeah. Um, So I... Okay. I think my drinking probably actually spiraled out of control the worst after I had started having kids. Like, I think something for me snapped at that mm. point and it like, I didn't know how to cope and alcohol was the only thing at that point that I knew to use to kind of get out of my head, to numb, to avoid. And I think that actually probably like accelerated my drinking. Mm-hmm. Well, and it might've been kind of a godsend when you, when you think about it, cause now you've got these kids and you're like, wow, I've got a straighten out for them you know did you you know what i mean oh absolutely i mean i think some days when i like when you have the hard days it's nice to know that there are other things outside of Mm -hmm. just me that i need to be accountable to and responsible for to help kind of like keep me motivated Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well this is great you're a miracle so glad that you're sober i've been sober um i forget like 18 years and then my husband's got 20 so we're uh that's amazing. Oh, we're on amazing. that. Yeah, we're we're on that we're on that long journey with you. But uh, I love getting the chance to you know talk to younger people because it's different today. You know, like it's a little different for young people today. You've got all the digital, the social media. You know, f- for all that um, 
front that we have to put forward and stuff. And, and we didn't have that when I was growing up. And that must be hard. You know, I think that must add another layer to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I actually, when I was first getting sober, went off social media, like completely, because for me, it was too hard <laughs> to be on there. I mean, like everything was like, well, and I got sober yeah. in the height of the pandemic. So that was when it was like wine o'clock all the time. And I mean, yeah. everyone was justifying drinking constantly because you're at home all day. You're locked up. So it was like, why not? You know, and you can order alcohol through like delivered to your home. So I, oh, I do yeah. think it can be a blessing and a curse depending on your habits around it. Like even now stepping back mm -hmm. out into it, um, it just figuring out what is okay for me to look at and what maybe I need to stay away from. Um, cause even though I might have almost three years, like I'm always one choice away from going right back out. And I think just guarding that really carefully. Yeah. We get that daily reprieve exactly, <laughs> dependent on our spiritual condition. We'll take us kind of back to the beginning. I usually like to do a little chit chat before we dive into the deep, dark story. <laughs> it's always fun to come on a show and just go, well, <laughs> you know, but when did you, when did the drinking start for you? Um, yeah. Yeah. So for me, it wasn't until, um, like senior year of high school. So I was 17 when I had my first mm -hmm. drink. My first like actual getting drunk was shortly thereafter. It was the second time. Cause the first time I drank, I was like, this is disgusting. Like, I don't get the point. The second time I got <laughs> drunk and I was like, yeah. Oh, you know, and it felt like coming home. And I think, so yeah. the easiest way for me to explain it is always feeling like I was like, there was something inherently wrong with me. Like I was not lovable how I was. I was not okay how I was. Mm. And so I had spent my entire childhood and adolescence, like going after academic success I can't talk um, <laughs> and chasing like people and thinking if I looked a certain way like all the things right to try to find some form of validation yeah. to know it was okay to take up my space and drinking was the one time that I felt fine without any external validation and that was kind of like I, I spent the rest of my life chasing that initial like feeling um, but yeah I mean so yeah it started there and it pretty quickly progressed for me because I was hanging out with people who were drinking. So like I was a blackout mm -hmm. drinker for the better part of like 18 to early twenties. Um, I had no gauge for my limit. Mm -hmm. So I was the one who would be, you know, down in shots till I passed out. Um, yeah. and it just, I met the man that would end up becoming my husband when I was 19, he was deployed for about a year and a half. Um, and during mm -hmm. that time, like I was just out drinking, partying with my friends, doing what I thought every normal, like 19, 20 year old was doing. And it wasn't until he came back home and I started realizing like, not everyone drinks the way that I do. Like I'm still passing out every time I drink. <laughs> um, yeah. and my friends like aren't doing that. So I changed my friends and then I slowly started to start drinking more in isolation. Like I would drink by myself. And what I would normally do is if yeah. I was out with people, I would only have a drink or two. And then I might finish up at home or I might drink a little bit before I went out to kind of like help lubricate because I did not know how to be social yeah. without alcohol. Um, yeah. Getting married, like for me, so there was still the initial like alcohol kind of helping me feel okay. My own skin went away real quick. And then I was right back to seeking validation from people again, which was a lot of lying, a lot yeah. of manipulation. Um, mm. So like with my husband, he thought I like I was telling everyone I was going to nursing school, I was going to become a nurse. I was not. It was all lies. Um, 
and I was leading him to believe, yeah, we're getting money. We're not getting like, it just, I started digging, like creating this false person that I thought would be acceptable, Mm -hmm. um, and living out of that delusion. So we started having kids. Um, and I think, like I said, I think something kind of snapped in my brain and I feel like a lot of the childhood stuff that I had tried to run away from was begging to be addressed because I never thought I was going to be a mom. And so having kids all of a sudden, it was like, what? No, 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 no. I wasn't supposed to have kids. I can't be a mom. Like, no, no. Um, And it just, rather than like do anything about it, I went to what I knew, which was continue to lie, continue to drink, continue to hide. Um, Because I didn't know how to open my mouth. And I was convinced that if I started to say, hey, I'm not okay. Like I didn't think it would be received well. Um, I was so afraid of what might happen if I started to say, you know, I'm, I'm lying. And so I just dug it in deeper and continued to put up basically walls between me and and the world. Um, like my marriage was dying quietly because my husband couldn't be with someone who wasn't there. And if I'm like, I'm living in lies, Mm -hmm. I'm running off. I, cause like I said, I told him I was a nurse. So I said that I had to travel for my work. And I would go thinking that I was going to be able to somehow solve the problem I was digging us into by running away for a weekend. And normally it just ended up being an excuse to go hide off and drink because I was trying not to drink at home around my kids that much because that made me feel better about my drinking. You know, those games we play like, well, if Mm -hmm. I only drink on this day or only this much. Um, And eventually it led to like kind of the tipping point was in, I think it was March of 2020. So right as the pandemic striking, like I, I lied, said I had COVID, um, and continue to spiral it up. And I think what I was trying to do is back myself into a corner. Like I was just, I hated myself at that point. Like I was waking up every day, wishing I was like praying for God to take me out. Like, please just kill me. I don't want to be here anymore. Um, I ended up escalating from just having COVID to saying I had cancer. So I made my whole family like my husband, my kids, my family of origin, his family, like everyone, I told everyone I was dying, rode that out for a while. Oh my goodness. Wow. It got really dark, really dark. Um, mm-hmm. and that went on until November when my husband finally was like, you know, stuff's not making sense to me. And I don't think I believe what you're telling me anymore. Yeah. Um, and at that point I wish I could say that I just kind of like, threw myself, you know, gracefully into this process, but it was kind of a slug fest. Like I did not want to be honest about what, like who I had been, who I had chosen to be. Um, so we were able to very slowly start to work through just the massive amount of lies that I had, um, and him starting to learn what his life really was, who I really was. I ended up getting into an intensive outpatient, um, in December. Um, so I did like a month dry, got into IOP and at the time it was all virtual cause it's still COVID. Um, and so of course they were, they're really big on AA. So I started going into AA, but for me, like, so one of the things that I think set, I, I wish I would have done differently in hindsight. I needed to come forward and tell everyone that I didn't have cancer because of course people think I'm dying. No one knows what's going on. And so it was important to be forthright about this situation. Yeah. But like, there's a reason you're not supposed to do your ninth step until you've done one through eight. So like, I wasn't in a very good place to be going out trying to like do this. And it just, I think fueled my shame. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And so I get into AA and all of a sudden I got attention from some guys and I decided to engage in two affairs. Um, and while I didn't go back out drinking, like I still, obviously that is not okay. I was still running and I was still hiding and I was starting yeah. to manipulate again. Um, fortunately, like it got to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm leaving, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving my husband and my I'm done. I'm done. Like I'm just done. Um, my husband was able to talk to me. We decided to work it out. I mean, it's only been through the grace of God, like that we are in a place where we're stable, but we're still married. Our yeah. family's intact. Um, like I was telling you, we have a puppy now, like it's just life's turned around completely. But yeah, in coming back home, um, I was able to start seeing my counselor who she's like a counselor mentor coach like grandma mm -hmm. like she's just this wonderful figure she's got like 43 years in sobriety um oh wow that's great. she yeah she runs a meeting that is my like home group and I, that was kind of like the tipping off point like meeting someone who had been into some of the dark places i had gone to and was on the other side mm -hmm. like to kind of help just show me it was possible because i think that's what i was missing before is like is it possible to live outside of like I only felt okay in AA, like in the rooms. And when I would go out yeah. into everyday life, it's like, I still feel less than, I still feel all this shame. And it's just been in, in doing my work with her um, and starting to like work through some of my shame and some of the lies that were like foundational to who I thought I was to be able to start to turn it around and start to embrace like actually living a life again, getting to be a present mom and a spouse and like show people that I'm not just like a liar and an alcoholic. Cause I think too, like I didn't think I was an alcoholic cause I always thought an alcoholic was like someone who like, you know, sleeps under a bridge and is drinking out of a brown paper bag. And that was not me. <laughs> and it's like, no, right. The problem was what I was not using you alcohol yet. for. <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah, that's where I was going to end up. I mean, gosh, gosh, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That uh, that's just the part of your story. But so far, that's really amazing. You know, and I love what they say in recovery is that anyone has the ability to recover, even if they have grave mental disorders, if they have the capacity to be honest and when yes. we break down honesty right i think it's it it goes into the depth of who we are like i always think addiction is coming back to ourselves the true self that god created us to be it's just hard for us addicts because we don't know what that is right because you probably started creating the false thing you know the the I would say that the alcohol probably wasn't your first addiction. Your first addiction was creating something, right? Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, I did that as a little kid. I was a dreamer. I was going to be in all the this movie, and then I was the girl in that movie, and, you know, those sorts of things, right? Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, so I grew up, both of my parents grew up in abusive alcoholic homes, and while neither one of them mm -hmm. are... Yeah addicts or abusive themselves like that we just didn't have emotional sobriety and so for me yeah. like middle child and more prone to like acting out of my emotions always felt like I was too much and like so I would I'd go yeah. into this little fantasy land in my head where I was enough and I was accepted just how I was and so yeah I think that started very early on and I think alcoholism just helped like alcohol helped make those two worlds mesh a little easier yeah well and when you're told to not feel a certain way, 
stop feeling that way or in your case maybe it was just we just can't talk about that our feelings are very intricate to who you, who we are right and so when you stop feeling that way you're basically kind of being told your feelings are wrong so therefore you're wrong now you're bad now you're shameful stuff those things don't feel them then you kind of have to create someone else right exactly because it's not like the feelings just go away because you tell them to and you can pretend they're not there but they're always right there. <laughs> they're always there yeah <laughs> so were your parents drink active drinkers or was it their parents or kind of what was sort of the, the family cycle like at that at that early age so they didn't really drink very often. Um, mm -hmm. Like, and my dad actually quit drinking when I was like, gosh, maybe like early adolescence. My mom drinks occasionally. She like, but mm -hmm. it, there was never like problematic drinking behavior. Like was in looking back, I'm like, it right. wasn't modeled. Um, and because yet yeah, like of my siblings, I'm the only one that has in, like that has an issue. Mm -hmm. uh, so the drinking from them wasn't that bad. It was more, I, I think they like coming into their story and they're coming out of an abusive alcoholic situation um, and trying to do yeah. better for their family, but also still lacking and still needing a lot of healing on their own. And so I think it's, it's in those places, like you can't take people where you haven't been. So if I haven't healed myself emotionally, I don't know how to embrace someone else's emotions. And I'm sure for them, sometimes it probably felt like you don't know how good you have it. Um, because for them growing right. up, like being able to mouth off to their parents was, no, we don't do that. And Maris, for me, I was yeah. like, I'm challenging you on everything. Like that's a little bit of my spirit at the, as a child. Like I was the one who was willing to say the things that no one else in my house would say. Cause we kind of had some no talk rule situations. Like we didn't really discuss a whole lot of things. Um, and for yep. me, if something didn't make sense, I would argue it like, well, why, what is this going on? And, um, so I think, yeah, just there were a lot of things I think that I probably embodied for my parents that um, were mm -hmm. a sign of healing, but they didn't know what to do with because they, you know, they were still, again, working out some of their own trauma and their own like past. Right. I mean, no one ever talked to them about their feelings, you know. And, and it's like the generational cycle of codependency is what I call it. Codependents and alcoholics were the same. It's the same oh, thing. Yeah. You know, like my mother was, or, you know, her father was an abusive alcoholic. And then she was just like super codependent, like just always outwardly having to make this the perfect life, life for us because by God, we weren't going to be like her dad and blah, blah, blah. And then we all ended up being alcoholics, the kids. It's like, well, how does, you know, and she's like, how did this, you know, everything I tried to be, to avoid, I created. You know, and it's just, it's, but that's just the cycle. I mean, you know, back then you didn't talk and then the grandparents, there was war trauma and there was all this stuff where everybody just shut down. Families stick together, don't talk, do as I say, not as I do, right? This is probably kind of personal, but you, you probably got your period and didn't even know what was going on. Probably no one talked to you about sex, right? This is so common in that addictive family dynamic where you're just, you're, you've got everything provided for you and, and oh we love you but emotionally you're just left right I mean was that kind of what it felt like yeah um, and <laughs> yeah I feel like my sister did her best to kind of like step in and and explain things to me like right hey, this is your period here's how you shave your legs like just these basic like <laughs> things with being a woman that you're yeah. like oh I'm not supposed to be fuzzy everywhere like this is what okay you know and yes yeah. it was, it's hard because yeah. you look back and you're like yes 
all of my needs were provided for in terms of like a house and food and exactly but yes emotionally it there was a lot that was just not there um and i do think that you feel the impact like we all feel that and how we express it obviously can be different but for me I started creating like a, a, a fantasy world in my head where it was safe and where I could be as I was and it was okay. Wow. So what has it been like just getting honest f for you? Um, is that still a daily thing? Is it, does it come more naturally to you now? Have you kind of dug into some of the sort of, of roots of the, um, manipulation and deceit and things like that yeah so it's I mean obviously every day I have to decide you know how I'm gonna mm -hmm. handle myself because we only ever get the 24 that we're in um, but it gets easier and yeah. one of the the things and this was actually my counselor said this and I took it on for myself because I just love it is that if there's ever anything I don't want to say it has to be the first thing that I say um, because I think if I give myself any space in my head, like the worst place I can be is alone in my head. Um, and so yeah. I think the more I'm able to just like how I'm living and what I'm telling people, the more those are in line, the easier it gets. And it's like, there are no massive things to hide anymore, which makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Um, it can still be hard sometimes. Cause I mean, no one wants to sit there and, and admit where they messed up or, you know, like, yeah, it's it's frustrating when I still treat people poorly and I'm like, gosh, why am I still doing that? Like, why did I like get so snippy with you? I don't want to do that. But it's so much easier now than it used to be. Like at first living in honesty felt so scary because it felt like I was living with my neck, like on the chopping block constantly um, and just feeling very vulnerable and very exposed. But it's such a better way of living. And like what I didn't realize before is that in um like in living out of a false self, like I never got to experience yeah. any real emotion because mm -hmm. without the, without the harder emotions, there are no good emotions. So there's no real wins and there's no like real sadness. You're just kind of in this constant state of like, like low level misery. Like it just kind of sucks all the time. And so now it's like, I actually get to experience like happiness and joy and peace. And yes, there can be challenging emotions in there too, but I get the full spectrum of it which isn't possible when I'm lying and when I'm living in my head. Yeah, it's authenticity. You know, you get to experience yes. that uh, real, real authenticity. And I think too, when, when we're younger like that and we're using and drinking, we're just going and we're moving and we don't even really know what we're trying to cover up. You know, looking mm -mm. back, it, it there was so much digging. It was like a sock drawer of just emotions and I didn't even know what they were. I had road rage and screaming and anger fits. And I mean, I didn't know what, you know, and it took, it took me 10 years, 10 years to figure out, wow, I'm really codependent. I mean, I was in my mid to late thirties before I figured all this crap out, you know? So for people listening, it, it just takes time. You know, it, yeah. it gets easier. It's you're, you're peeling back the layers of the onion and figuring out, you know, right? Like what I'm, what am I feeling? What is this feeling? And the more we work through it, then the easier it gets, right? Exactly. Well, and just to be like, one of the biggest things is being kind, like get curious and get kind. Cause sometimes for me, it's like, I'm getting yeah. a really like extreme reaction here. And that's not normal, you know? Mm -hmm. And like just starting to then get a little curious about why this might be happening versus like, yeah 
freaking out or <laughs> trying to pretend it's not there, mm -hmm. which were normally what I would do is just, oh, no, I'm fine. Everything's fine and avoid it. Um, and yeah, I, I think, gosh, like what I'm learning now and what I was learning when I first started, like actually trying to attack through this, it, I think you do, you just learn more and you evolve and you're able to go deeper and deeper and it's less scary. I think the further you go into it. And so I like that you said that it took you like 10 years. Cause I think it's an ongoing process. Like we're complex human beings. Um, and we're yeah. really good at like covering up what we don't want to admit to ourselves. So I think, yeah, just being patient with the timeline, like it, I love progress, not perfection. <laughs> we just take our time with mm -hmm. things. It's lifelong, <laughs> you know, I mean, with, you know, it's, it's a, a lifelong journey of just, you know, the layers of the onion peel back, but it is great. I mean, people think, oh, sobriety, how boring, I'm going to have to give up everything. And it's like, oh, no, no, life's so sweet when you're sober and you get to see the sunrise without a hangover. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's wonderful. It is. I, oh. like, I, I thought it, like... Cause I felt the same way. I'm like, how do you have fun? What do you do? And now it's like, it's such, it's yeah. freedom. It's so freeing, but I would yeah. have never thought that it's one of those like conundrums where until you experience it, it's hard to imagine it being a, like anything other than a punishment or like lacking, but it's, it's freedom. It really is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was there something in the recovery that just clicked for you when you were in the AA or maybe with your counselor or, or kind of a turning point where you just you were just done. You're like, oh, you know, I, this makes sense. I get it. Uh, was was there a light bulb moment or was it just all kind of prog a progression for you? So I think um, in IOP and in AA, like realizing drinking was no longer an option, that light bulb clicked there. But I think mm -hmm. in realizing that I didn't have to live with all of my shame happened with my counselor. It was something about being able to mm -hmm. tell her my story and be seen and loved exactly yeah. as I was there. That was like, oh, it can be different. It was like something clipped where it's like, it can mm -hmm. be different and I want it to be different now. Like I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and I think it was the moment of just like complete surrender. Cause I think it had been like yeah. surrendering in, in ways. And then finally it was like, I'm done. I give it all up. Like I'm done with all of it. I want something different. Like, I looked at her and I'm like, basically, I was like, I want what you have <laughs> um, and I'm ready to do whatever mm -hmm. I need to do to get it. Mm. And what's so beautiful about that is you decided you wanted what she, what she had once she accepted and listened to you unconditionally. And that's the power of therapy, the fifth step, all of this, because all the false fronts we're creating is so that people will love and accept us. And so that's why that step is so powerful. For those of you that haven't been in recovery, you, you kind of do this personal inventory if you're going through the 12 steps. You know, you do the same thing if, if you're doing self-reflection, if you're doing any kind of recovery. And then what you do is you confess it all. You kind of just tell your story to someone who's going to love you and not judge you and completely accept you. And that is such a power, it's like a mirroring experience. And it's such a powerful experience to be loved and accepted unconditionally um, that, you know, I think that is one of the, the, the turning points for a lot of people, like, and even in yourself and recovery, like you said, it's like, wow, you know, she's not, she's not judging me, you know? Yes. I mean, I think it's so healing, one, to just get accepted, but then two, also, um, like to hear other stories and to realize like, 
okay, I'm not alone. Cause I think that's yeah. the other piece of it is, you know, that terminal uniqueness where no one's done what I've done. And if you've heard anything about me and who I really am, you'd never want to talk with me. And it was like telling my story yeah. and she's like, okay, now what, you know, like here, here's, here's my story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got right. nothing to be ashamed of. Like it's, it's, it's fine. And that is what's so funny. You know, you're like, oh, no one's woke up in their own vomit or peed in the bed or, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to say it because when you're a blackout drunk, you lose all function, you know, and that's where some of the shame comes. You think you think no one's ever done that. You know, I went to my first AA meeting drunk, you know, I'm like, I because I think anybody would notice, you know, I mean, really, you know, and so I mean, you're right. It's just it's just I mean, my brother died of alcoholism. So mm. You know, I've seen it all, you know, at my age. So anybody that's new, that's listening, it's, it's, it's all, there's, there's nothing new under the sun and, and you're not terminally unique. You, yes, you are lovable and you are unique and God created you and you're, you're wonderful. But at the same time, right, there's nothing you can do um, that's going to make people love you less, especially in recovery. Right. You go into those rooms and, and it's like, come on in. We've done it all. We've seen it all. <laughs> you exactly. know, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I, I'm like, geez, with my story, I'm like, I can I can hold space for anything you got. Like, I've done pretty much everything yeah. you can do. So like, it's fine. <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah. So did you were, did you try to quit a lot on your own? Oh yeah, I did. Yeah. Like where I'd only, you know, okay, I'm only going to drink on the weekends. I'm going to only yes. drink wine, not, you know, liquor or just beer or just, you know, two a night. Like I did all of this stuff where like, okay, I'm not, yeah. I'm, I'm not drinking again only that night to, you know, then be like finding a way to, to get some more to drink. Like I went through all of the, the nonsense, all of it. I love the ad infinitum, you know, we try drinking only wine, drinking only beer, drinking, you know, sanitariums. <laughs> I had that quote somewhere <laughs> like to use because it's just so funny. But what it's basically saying is everyone in recovery goes through this. And I don't care if you're addicted to alcohol, drugs, porn, food, wh whatever it is, we go through the... I don't want to ask for help, so I'm going to try and figure this out on my own. For me, it was me and God. It was like, okay, God, just fi just me and you. I don't need anybody else. And he's like, no, you got to go to those meetings and you got to do all that stuff. And so if you're listening, um, we need other people. You're not going to be able to do it by yourself. Generally, it just doesn't work that way. We have to have that community, you know? Yeah. Well, I think the accountability, because again, like in my own head, I can yeah. justify anything I want. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like I can take yeah. something, spin it and, and run, you know, it, it's like, yeah. so I think the, the most dangerous thing I can do is to, to be alone in my own head. Like I need support. I need other people to be like, that doesn't make sense. Let's talk about this a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then and then we learn stuff, though, through, I don't know if you had relapses, but, but we learn through that. You know, we learn what our triggers are. We learn, you know, people feel so ashamed when they relapse. And, and you know, sometimes there's people that don't want to help them. But relapses is, is, you know, I actually didn't really relapse, but I know most people relapse over and over and over again. And it is, it, you know, it is a learning process. It's it's part of the game. Um and the more we can can begin to learn through that process, you know, what 
triggered the relapse, what we need to change, um, you know, in our program. I mean, I think that's an important thing for people to understand because we don't want to shame people for relapsing. The important thing is they get up and try again, right? Exactly. So relapse wasn't, when I was trying to do it on my own, yeah. I mean, but it was hard to say that I I was never really sober at that point. Um, Yeah. But to me, I think it takes a whole lot of strength to relapse and Mm -hmm. then come back in. Um, Because I don't know that I could do that. Like I, for me, I'm like, if I relapse, it would be really hard to get myself back in the room. So when I look at people who come back in and reintroduce after going back out, like I, I am just inspired by their strength because that, Mm-hmm. That's commitment. Like to me, if you fall down and you're willing to get back up and be honest about it and come seek out support, like that's huge because again, yeah, learn, grow, adjust, and you're going to get it. Like I, it's only too late when you give up, like until that point, mm. there's, it's, yeah. there's always possibility to, to do this. Like it's still within reach. And we need that community and the help to develop new ways of living and new ways of coping, you know? Because like for you and for for me back when I was drinking, it was the only way I knew how to cope. And so what people don't quite understand about addiction, a lot of times they're like, why would they keep lying? Why would they keep hurting their families? Why would they like sell their kids, you know? And the reality is the coping mechanism is their survival and then of course we got the dopamine and the reward circuits and all the brain things that are happening but the reality is it'd be like okay tanya your only way of survival and coping is drinking and i'm just going to take that away i mean we just take that away from someone if they don't have any means any community and any different coping skills and any way of replacing it they're doomed Right. I mean, they're doomed. They don't have any other way. And that's why the the, you know, if there's trauma, right, the therapy is so important or, um, you know, at least getting in the rooms and and learning from other people. How how do I how do I cope when this happens? How do I ask for a raise? How do I like (laughs) we come into recovery and we may know all this intellectual stuff, but emotionally, a lot of times we're just like not even knowing how, you know, we're, we're emotionally like 13, you know, and we're 20, 30, 40, 50, right. You know? And so you got to relearn stuff. Did you find that, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I felt like I was a five-year-old. I mean, just (laughs) like explosive emotionally, like no emotional regulation. And so, yes, Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think being in like, being in community was helpful because I wasn't the only one and we could all kind of laugh at yeah. each other. And it's like, yeah, I tried to meditate, but it was awful. And I don't feel like, you know, and just like laugh at each other through like our missteps in trying to like find alternative ways to kind of sit and deal with our emotions versus instinctively trying to like grab for something to get ourselves out of it. Um, yeah. Cause I almost yeah. like, I think the easiest way to do it is like, okay, so for instance, with your phone. So with scrolling social media, that's what a lot of us do when we don't want to like, I need to disconnect. I need to numb. So I'm going to grab my phone and scroll. It's like, I don't mean to ignore my kids, but I just want to scroll my phone right now. Meanwhile, my child's begging for my attention. Mm -hmm. It's the same kind of thing. It might not be as extreme as like what we do in active addiction, but it's like everyone can identify with that space of like binge watching Netflix, scrolling social media as a way to not deal with whatever you don't want to deal with. And it's like, the more we try to run away from it, the more we get consumed and controlled by it. And that's, I mean, that's yeah. how addiction takes hold. 
because I know mm -hmm. if I go here, it, it makes me feel better for a minute. Even if it's laughing at something ridiculous or getting like angry about something I see online that I have no control over, it, it gets me away yeah. from whatever it is I'm trying to run away from. And like with TV, I mean, my gosh, problems are solved within oh, a half Lord. an hour and it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it, you know, recovery is so much, like the buzzword now is mindfulness, but but that, you know, we can call it something different so people like it better, but it's true. I mean, that's what you have to do is name and claim the emotion. You don't have to judge it. You know, we all have horrible emotions. We're all driving along thinking, oh, I want to kill that guy, you know, who did road rage. And, and it's okay. It's like our thoughts, they're just our thoughts. Our emotions are just our emotions. They come, they go, they don't have to define us, but really just, it's so important to just check in with yourself. Cause when we're younger, when we're in active addiction, we're not stopping to think. We just, we just grab the bottle, grab the tea. We, we grab it. Mm -hmm. I mean, and a lot of times you don't even know you're not even. And so the first part of recovery is just the gradual slow down, right? Okay. Just stop just for a minute. <laughs> and then slowly we can begin to do that. You know, we can begin to be more mindful. Like when I had massive anger and road, ra road rage, the time between the anger and the action of, you know, flipping someone off, slamming on the brakes, getting into all that mess with like dudes that were huge. I mean, like I was crazy. What was I doing? It felt so automatic. But slowly I started to see, okay, wait, there's a split second where I have a choice, right? It's just, just with our addiction or whatever it is. And then the second grew into maybe two seconds, you know, but it takes time. It takes, a, it does take time because those automatic things, they are automatic destructive behaviors and coping mechanisms, but, but slowly, right, they'll, they'll become less automatic once we, once we start to recognize and be more mindful of it, you exactly. know? Yeah. My sponsor yeah. would always tell me like first thought wrong, like first thought wrong, <laughs> just, and my initial <laughs> impulse is almost always wrong. <laughs> and so if I just toss right. out that first idea, eventually I'll get to a better one. Um, oh, I like that. I like that. Um, so talk to me about, uh, your program radiant redemption. It sounds like redemption is important to you. What does that, what does that mean to you? Redemption? So to me, like it's more, I love to look at recovery as, um, and like just redemption, not only are we healing from like our addiction, but we're getting to be restored and fully like living a life with purpose. So we go from basically yeah. death to life is what that means to me. Cause like, yeah. I was basically like dead at that point in time and now getting to be fully alive, fully present, living a life of purpose and meaning. Like that's mm. what that means. It's it's like that full restoration. Yeah. I love that. I love that finding our finding our deeper purpose in life, you know. That's one of the huge things is finding your purpose. You know, that's one of the huge parts of just living um I don't know if it's necessarily that we always have to find our purpose, but we do find our own meaning in life. Yes. You know, what, what is, is that for you? Is it helping others? Is it rescuing puppies? You know, <laughs> <laughs> do you even know yet? You're pretty young. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know right now, um, helping others, like if, 
getting out here yeah, and true. sharing my story to be able to help show one other mm -hmm. woman that there's a way out like that is huge for me and yes we did just yeah. get a puppy and I do feel like that's hugely rewarding too <laughs> um yeah yeah and I would I would just say also the ability to change the story for my children um and to be able to, to kind of break the yeah. curse with with my family and what I'm doing, my own work and what that means for my kids and my children's children and like just the legacy, getting to rewrite it is, is another thing that really is so rewarding and huge for me right now. Hmm. I love to, and I really appreciate you coming on and sharing the deceitfulness um, because so for me, I was emotionally I didn't, I didn't know who, know who I was, but I was always like way too honest, almost honest to a fault. But the flip side of that was I got taken advantage of a lot. Like I couldn't see the, that in other people a lot of times until it was too late. And so you kind of have that unique ability. Like, like I have, I, I work with addicts as well and I have my MS and addiction counseling and I was at an opiate treatment center, but even then, like some of the lines people would spin <laughs> I mean, and I, I, it took me a while. Like I was like, holy crap, they are completely full of it. Like you can probably see that you probably have that gift where, you know, cause there's kind of two different, you know, some people are super deceitful in recovery and then other people are just like so broken and, and like they're, they're almost too trusting, you know, but as it sounds like you, you have like a unique gift where you're, you're going to be able to really spot the BS, you know, which is great. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and I, I do think sometimes it's like, yeah, I, um, mm -mm, I know that's not true. And it's fine. <laughs> right. Like one of yeah. the boundaries I have to keep is that I can't want it more than you do. Um, cause if I want it more mm -hmm. than you do, then I'm, I'm crossing lines here and that's not healthy. So if, if you want to lie, yeah. like that's your choice and I will love you, but I'm not going to participate in it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it is a common theme because we're just scared and we're running. And so, um, I just appreciate you sharing that a lot of people will come on and they'll, they will share their addiction recovery, but not everyone comes on and says, says this is you know, the behavior I was doing. My husband was more like that, you know, he was, he was a recovered narcissist. I mean, he, you know, there was narcissism in the family. And so he would just learn to just spin it, you know, and, and if that's what you learned and that's what you do, it's, you have to relearn that. And, and I always say, you don't know what's wrong until you know what's right. And once you get with people that are authentic and trying to help you, you go, oh, so this is what normal is. So you have to be around those healthy people or you, you, you have no idea what normal looks like. If all you've seen is dysfunction or drinking or, you know, things like that. And once you're around the normal people reflected on you, you're like, oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, again, you don't know your normal is abnormal until you get around someone else. And I know yeah. like for me, yeah. it, it was learning really early on that it, it's those small things that you learn in terms of, okay, so we go someplace and we're not okay, but we're okay when we go out in public. Anyone asks and it's like, oh, we're great. Everything's fine. Um, and it's yeah. those small lies that like can just kind of, for me, started to grow where it's like, okay, well, not only am I just fine, but I'm yeah. gonna just like run with that. And so like mm -hmm. for me, I just wanna help normalize that there's a whole spectrum. And so like if someone can identify yeah. with what I went through and go like, okay, well, if she was able to turn around, maybe there's hope for me too. And it right. can be different. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Um, so tell me about your program, Radiant Redemption. Yeah, so um, I work specifically with women. It's it's tailored for women. I run a 12-week coaching group, and we uh-huh. are going to tackle specifically areas around, like, shame and, like, lies yeah. about who we are. Start to get a little mm-hmm. more in those, because while I think the steps are wonderful and they help, I think just additional work around shame is huge. I know for me, like, yeah, it, it took a lot of, like, specific work in there to even understand where it was stemming from. Um, because mm-hmm. even as people were receiving yeah. me well in recovery, like I couldn't accept myself. And so it was still like yeah. a tripping point. So it's just designed to help uncover yeah. some of the lies you believe, some of the shame you might still be carrying and learn how to live differently. Like learn how to, to like the truth about who you are and to start to like let yeah. go of the shackles of shame. I love to call it like shackles because I feel like you're bound. As long as you're living in shame, like you're bound to yeah. it and it just drags you down. And so learning mm-hmm. to live in freedom yeah it's so true and and then even just understanding what what shame feels like you know i went through that years ago i was like is this what shame feels like i didn't even know because i was i was stuffing it for so long and then i started to feel it you know and then but the truth is we're good and bad we do bad things right guilt Mm -hmm. is that i feel bad for what i did but shame is that i'm bad shame says you're bad and that's what we want to get rid of because that's not true right? We're exactly. not bad. We weren't created bad. But yeah, we do bad stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right? Just like, like your kids, like you would never not love your child because they painted the wall blue, like you'd be mad. Mm-hmm. Your behavior's bad, but you're not bad. Then we'd believe like we're bad. And that's when the destruction comes, you know? Exactly. And it's like, we're, yeah, we're a mix of both. Like, we can do really amazing mm-hmm. things and we can do really horrendous things. And that's just part of yeah. the human experience, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, Tanya, what advice would you give for people listening that are still struggling in their addiction? I think first and foremost, like reach out. Like, yeah. I think you already said this, we can't do this alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and being willing to take that first step and just admitting that you need help is huge. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the jumping point. Like one is admitting you have a problem if you're ready, like if you're ready and you want it to be different, cause that's the thing, like you can't get sober for someone else. You have yeah. to decide you're done. Um, and if you are at that point, then yeah, like there are so many hotlines that you can call and just, or even just a friend or a counselor, just like, I need help. Yeah. Yeah. And taking awesome. that first step, because sometimes that's the that's the hardest one to take is just to, to say, like, I, I need help. Yeah. Amen. That's so true. Well, Tanya, thanks for hanging out. How can people get in touch with you? Um, can they connect with you or email you, go to your website uh, if they're listening and they want to reach out to you? Yes. Yeah, so my website is radiantredemption.com. And then I am also on Instagram and TikTok at radiant underscore redemption. Um, and those are the easiest ways to get at me. But my website has some resources and more about my coaching if they're interested. Awesome. You're on TikTok. I love that. We need, <laughs> um, we need better advice on TikTok. We just keep yes, people we giving good advice. Like, I mean, everyone's like, you know, these, this new trend of eating, you know, dishwasher pods or putting weird stuff in your laundry. I mean, some of these people, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> I know. I know. Also, I'm like, I'm going to 
there can be like healthy sober life let's let's look at some healthy sober oh life we're gosh. not eating weird things we're not doing like let's just yes <laughs> i know and all the news it feels like is comes from t you know a tiktoker and a tiktok i'm like do you guys do real journalism anymore or you just go to tiktok <laughs> i think so <laughs> i do i'm just like oh anyway not to diss TikTok. There, there, there's great. Like Tanya's on TikTok, so there you go. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Well, thank you for your honesty, Tanya, and um, I just so appreciate you being here and sharing and uh, just uh, being authentic and real. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, friends, for listening to Genuine Life Recovery, playing on your favorite app or on my website at jodystevens.org. It's J-O-D-I-E-S-T-E-V-E-N-S, jodystevens.org. There you can check out my podcast, blog, recovery coaching info, speaking, and more. Check it out.